Once again, welcome. Welcome over in the venue. And again, if you're watching online, I'm glad you're with us. Okay. Let's see your, let's see the Bibles. You got them? Come on, hold them up. Over in the venue, put them up. Come on, you're watching online, got your Bible there in the kitchen table? Come on, everybody get them up. All right. Now here's the deal. For those of you that are visiting, this is a church that um, believes that this is the inerrant word of God. That it's God-breathed. That God supernaturally came upon the writers of these books and they pinned the very words that God wanted them to pin. There's a great phrase that the church has used for centuries and it's called sola scriptoria, scripture alone. And so everything we do here at Big Valley Grace is all about the scriptures. All the songs that we sing are rooted in the scriptures. Right now in all of our children's ministries and youth ministries, this book is being opened up and we're looking at what God has to say uh, about life. It's, it's the plumb line, if you will, for those of us that name the, the name of Christ. And we're in a series here at Big Valley Grace where we're looking at some of the great attributes of God it's a series where we're getting to know what God is really like. And one of the beautiful things about the Bible is, is that God wanted us to know a little bit about him. And so contained between these two leather-bound covers are all these beautiful attributes that we get to learn about God. So far we've looked at the fact that God is good, that God is great, that God is all-knowing, that God is all-powerful. And then last weekend, we looked at the truth that God is unchanging. And today, we're going to look at the theological truth or the fact that God is in control. God is sovereign, okay? The word sovereign simply means that God is the supreme ruler over everything. He's in control of everything. So in just a little bit, when you get up and you walk out of this building or you walk out of the venue or whatever it is, the, the, the broad stroke, the most important thing you're going to get out of this today is that fact that God is sovereign, absolutely sovereign, which means this, he's in control of your life. If he's sovereign over everything, if he's in control of everything, that means he's in control of your life. And the second thing we're going to look at here in just a moment is the fact that he's in control, he's sovereign over your problems. Paul said this in Colossians chapter 1. He said, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. When Jesus was born in that little town called Bethlehem 2,000 years ago, for the first time, we could actually see and touch and hear God. That baby was the second person of the Holy Trinity. We could see him. We could touch him. We could hear him. 
Colossians goes on and says, he existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. That's a weighty, weighty passage for those of us that name the name of Christ. A.W. Tozer said this, great quote, I think I put it in your notes. God is absolutely free No one can compel him, no one can hinder him, no one can stop him. God has the freedom to do as he pleases always, everywhere, and forever. Because he's sovereign. He's in absolute control of everything. Psalms 35 says this, Psalms 135, the Lord does whatever pleases him throughout all heaven and earth and on the seas and on their depths. God does whatever pleases him. Job makes this statement. He said, God, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. And that's an accurate statement. Job had gone through a lot, a lot in his life. Some of you remember the story of Job. In those first few chapters, for whatever reason, God allows Job to go through a lot of really crummy things. He loses, you know, his business, his source of income. He loses his family, his spouse. He's got boils all over him. And then Job asks God a a question or two. (laughs) And the interesting thing about the book of Job, when you look at God's response to Job, is that God never answers his questions. Never. But by the end of it, Basically, what God says to Job is, Job, I'm enough. I'm enough. Job knew that God was good. Job knew that God was great. Job knew all those things. And he knew that he could do whatever he wanted to do and that the purposes of his weren't going to be thwarted. How many of you remember that old song that goes like this? He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got you and me, brother, in his hands. He's got little itty babies in his hands. He's got everything in his hands. That part of the song, at least that part of it, is theologically accurate. He's got everything in his hands. Everything. Nothing can stop God, nothing. No person can stop God. Satan and the demons can't stop God. The government can't stop God. God is sovereign. He rules over everything. He controls everything. Now let me give you a little taste as to what I'm talking about, okay? God controls when a person is born. When you were born. Genesis chapter 29 says, when the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he opened her womb. He enabled her 
to conceive. In 1 Samuel chapter 1, we're told that the Lord had kept a gal by the name of Hannah from having a baby. In other words, God kept her womb closed. In other words, God is sovereign over the womb. Ladies, he's sovereign over your womb. He's in control of your womb. God controls how many days a a person will live. He controls how many days you'll live. Job 14 says, you have decided the length of our lives. You know how many months we will live and we are not given a minute longer. Death is one of the appointments we're all gonna keep and you don't even need to put it on your day timer. You don't need to put it in your smartphone. God has determined the moment you will take your last breath. He knows when that is. God controls which gifts and talents and abilities a a person will have. What, What gifts and talents and abilities you'll have. First Peter chapter four says, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. At the moment you gave your life to Jesus Christ, at the moment you surrendered your life to him, repented of your sin, humbled yourself before God, believed in him, put your trust in him, at that very moment, God gave you at least one spiritual gift For many of you, it was more than one, but he gave you at least one. He made the decision as to what gift you would have. And he wants you to use that gift to serve one another. That's why he gave it to you. God is sovereign over your thoughts. Proverbs 21 says, the Lord can control a king's mind as he controls a river. He can direct it as he pleases. Uh, I was in youth work for a lot of years around this place, and we used to go to Mexico, and we, we would take you know, just hundreds of kids down to Mexico. I mean, hundreds of kids. We'd have, you know, 20, 15 passenger vans and, you know, semi trucks pulling food and, you know, motorhomes going down. I mean, it was an unbelievable, beautiful, chaotic thing getting down across the border. And, here you'd have all these kids and we'd have all this luggage and, and you know, John Kitchell down here would take the medical van down and, and there were more drugs in his RV than, than you know, there probably should have been. And, and uh, I mean, we, we would just make our way down and whenever we got to the border, we understood that God was sovereign that he controlled everything. We understood that Proverbs 21 here is truth, that God holds the the hearts of of kings in his hands. So we'd get to the border and we'd start praying, oh God, you you hold the the hearts of kings in your hands and you you can direct that king any way you want. And right now, God, we need you to, to hold the hearts of these border guards in your hands. Because if they choose to pull us over and start looking through all our luggage, looking through, you know, John's RV, he's going to jail for the rest of his life. I guarantee it. He's going to be in jail the rest of his life. There's no way he's going to talk himself out of that mess. 
And so we'd get there and we'd start praying and that first van would pull up and we'd talk to him and say, hey, listen, you know, we got a whole bunch of stuff, bunch of things, da, da, da. and then you'd see him go like this and then the next van would come and you'd see him go like this and you'd just see those border guards doing this. And it was as if in my brain I was going, you know what, they probably want to go like this, but God's just, God's got them. God, God. Like, <laughs> and we'd all just get through, man, it was unbelievable. Crazy. <laughs> Psalms 33 says this The Lord frustrates the plans of the nations and he thwarts all of their schemes, but the Lord's plans stand firm forever. His intentions can never be shaken. In other words, God is sovereign. He's in control of everything. Now, obviously, this brings up a good question. Pastor Rick, do we as humans have a free will? Pastor Rick, I've heard you say that humans have a free will. And I think that the answer is yes. I believe the scriptures clearly teach that humans have a free will, at least as it relates to salvation. That God gives human beings, as Paul says in Romans, a, a bit of light, if you will. And then we have this incredible moment where we either respond to that light or we don't. We either surrender our life over to Christ or we don't. The scriptures, I believe, absolutely teach that God is sovereign. He controls everything, and yet that we have a free will. Well, how can that be, Pastor? How, how can God be sovereign while at the same time we as humans have a free will? Beloved, this, isn't, you know, this, this message isn't about trying to resolve that age-old question. I believe that the Scriptures clearly teach both, that God is absolutely sovereign and that man has a free will. And though I don't understand how they can coexist, somehow in the mind of God, they work perfectly. Now, some people can't handle that, and so denominations have been started that, you know, well, we believe just in this, and we believe just in this, and some people have a hard time with those two things coexisting. I don't get it. I just know the Bible clearly teaches both, and though in my brain I don't get it, it makes perfect sense in his brain. Deuteronomy chapter 29 says this, there are some things the Lord our God has kept secret. And this includes some things about himself. There are some things that God has kept secret about himself. Christian, listen, as great a book as this is, please understand that this is not everything that there is to know about God. If you could capture everything there was to know about God between these two leather-bound covers, what kind of God would he be? This is not everything there is to know about God. It's what God has chosen to give us. It's the light that God has given us. And we do our best here at Big Valley Grace, whether it be from the pulpit or in our children's ministries or our youth ministries or our adult ministries to, to teach what's in this book. We do. 
But there are some things that, you know what, they're just, they're just between God, you know, the Godhead. They're secrets. But this scripture goes on and says, but there are some things that God let us know. These things belong to us and our children forever so that we will do everything in these teachings. There are some things, as I said, that God wants us to know. And everything that God wants us to know basically is right here. That's why, you know, we hold our Bibles up. Sola Scriptoria, you know, a solas veritas, one truth. And I got it right here. You got it in your, in your, in, in, in your hands also, you see? I've always been fascinated with Proverbs chapter 16, where God says, we can make our plans. In other words, we use our free will to, to plan things out, but the Lord determines our steps. <laughs> God gave us these unbelievable things called brains, and we can plan, but the Lord directs our, our steps. Job makes a statement in Job chapter 23. He says, but once he has made his decision, who can change his mind? Whatever he wants to do, he does. So he will do to me whatever he has planned. He controls my destiny. The sovereign God revealed between these two leather-bound covers is gonna do whatever he wants. And you know, what's, you know what bothers us? You know what bothers our flesh? is he doesn't ask us. He doesn't check in with us before he does something. Hey, let, let me get your take on this. <laughs> I mean, doesn't he realize how intelligent some of you are? Yeah, some of you got your PhDs. And God chooses not to ask you for your opinion. It's crazy how that works. <laughs> I like what Dr. MacArthur said. He said, quote, Human responsibility is always subject to God's absolute sovereignty. And I like that. I think we have a responsibility to do, at least as it relates to salvation, we, we do something with the message of Christ. But always God's sovereignty trumps everything else. So with all this said, let, let, let me get uh, real practical, okay? Okay. Okay, in other words, I, 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 don't like, I don't like just giving you a truth. As good as that is, God's sovereign, he's in control. And we could leave here and that'd be fantastic. But I always wanna deal with the so what question. Okay, pastor, so what? God's sovereign, he's in control of everything. I, I live here in Modesto, California, you know, in this pinhole on a map. How does that play out in my life or my marriage or my business or my career or whatever? What's the reality of this? What's the application of this? Well, let me give you two things here. What does it mean for you that God is sovereign or that God is in control? Well, as I said a minute ago, since God is in control of everything, he's sovereign, God's in control of your life. And this is really important, we all pay attention because I've noticed something amongst Christians. Christians may, may say, I, I, I know that truth that God's sovereign. I, I know it. But then you go out and live like it's not. You walk out of church and you, you live your life, you run your business, you manage your home, you do all that stuff as if he's not in control. So let me unpack this for us just, just, just for a moment, okay? Jeremiah chapter one says, 
God says, before I made you in your mother's womb, Jeremiah, I chose you. Before you were born, Jeremiah, I set you apart for a special work. Jeremiah, I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. And I want you to look at that word before because it's very significant. God is saying, before I even began to create the person who would later become known as Jeremiah, I knew him, I chose him, and I set him apart for a special work. So in the mind of God, before Jeremiah was even conceived, he already had a plan laid out for his life. Paul says something very similar in Galatians chapter one. Paul says, quote, but even before I was born, God chose me and called me by his marvelous grace. Then it pleased him to reveal his son to me on the road to Damascus, right? So that I would proclaim the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles. So here you have a man in the Old Testament, a man in the New Testament, who tell us about this sovereign God who knew them before they were ever born and had a plan for their life before they were popped out of their mother's womb. And here's the deal, beloved, the same thing is true for you. Before you were ever conceived, God knew you and he had a calling on your life. Some of you were appointed, I don't know, to be doctors, some construction workers, some salespeople, other mechanics or pastors or missionaries or politicians or whatever. God's plan for Jeremiah was that he was gonna be a prophet to the nations. That's probably not what God's call is on your life. For Paul, he was gonna be a preacher to the Gentiles. That may not be your call, but make no mistake about it, because God is sovereign, because he's in control, what was true about Jeremiah and what was true about Paul is also true about you. He's in control of your life. Ephesians chapter two says this, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. The things he has planned for you, he planned long ago before the foundations of the world. He knew what Jeremiah was gonna do and he knew what Paul was gonna do and he knows what you're to do with your life. He planned it long ago. And some of you might be here and you're going, Pastor, you're nuts. I don't even believe in God. Well, let me tell you something. Paul didn't believe in God either. Paul was a persecutor of Christians. He actually was killing Christians. And yet God still had a calling on his life. And there came a moment when he gives his life to Christ and next thing you know, he writes 13 books in the New Testament. <laughs> I don't know what God's calling on your life is. I don't know. That's why we're to seek his will. He's got it all laid out. That's why the Bible tells us moms and dads, hey, train up a child in the way that they are to go, not the way you want them to go. I know you have a will for your kids' lives. I know you do. But the issue isn't what your will is for their life. The issue is, is what's the way they're supposed to go? What's the plan that God has for their life? Not your plan for their life. Not that you can't add wisdom. 
and give wisdom. And you can see things that, uh, about them that you go, wow, I think you might be pretty good at this, or you might be good at that, or you might be good here, and let me help you get into a school like this, or whatever it might be. We're to try to determine as parents what is it that God has planned for their life. Because God has a, a, a plan. I want you to know that this truth, the truth that God is in control, gives me incredible uh, joy and peace, uh, comfort, because it means that my life was thought through by God. He actually has a plan for my life. In other words, I wasn't born without God knowing about it, and neither were you. I love what Max Lucado said. He said, quote, you aren't an accident you weren't mass produced, you weren't an assembly line product, you were deliberately planned, specifically gifted, and lovingly positioned on this earth by the master craftsman. And isn't that beautiful? Beloved, in a biblical worldview, there is no such thing as an unwanted pregnancy. If you're here and you're a follower of Christ and this is the plumb line for your life, sola scriptoria, there is no unwanted pregnancies. Oh, there are unwanted parents. But there's no such thing as an unwanted pregnancy. God is very much aware of when an egg and a sperm get together. He was aware of it before the foundations of the world. Let me come at this from a, a different angle real, real quick. Listen to what God says in Isaiah chapter 46. He said, I am God and there is none like me. Only I can tell you the future before it ever happens. Everything I plan will come to pass, for I do whatever I wish. And the good news is, is that God is good. And he's loving. And he's merciful. And all those wonderful things. We've all heard the phrase, the sky's the limit. We've probably told our kids that, right? or our grandkids, hey, the sky's the limit. You can do whatever you put your mind to, and I want you to know, that's not accurate. The sky isn't the limit. They can't do whatever they want to do, whatever they put their mind to. God is the limit. God's it. He determines what the limit is. You can't just do whatever it is you wanna do. God's the limit. He determines it. And it's our responsibility to seek his will as to what that limit is. Our plans are, are tentative at, at best. God's the one who does whatever he wants. For God, the sky's the limit. <laughs> Not us. Proverbs chapter 16 says, we may make our plans, but God has the last word. There's an old saying that goes like this, and a lot of people think it came from Proverbs 16. Man, quote, man plans, and then God laughs, right? And I think that's true. Not that God doesn't want us to plan, 
God's given us a brain and he wants us to use it. He wants us to plan, but here's the bottom line. God has the last word, Christian. God does. Most of us didn't end up working in the career that we intended to go into, right? God changed our plan. I, I thought I was gonna be in the jewelry business my whole life. I loved it. I loved working with my sister and I loved working with my dad sometimes. Uh, <laughs> but I loved it. God, God has the last word though. I never wanted to have a, a blended family. In fact, I vowed I'd never have a blended family. I didn't like all the stuff I had to go through because I had a blended family. So I wasn't gonna put my kids through that. I can remember saying, man, I'm never gonna have a blended family. I am not gonna have a blended family. If it's the last thing I do, I'm not having a blended family. I don't like what it did to me. I'm not having a blended family. I'm not having a blended family. That was my plan, but God has the, the last word, right? Well, in 1997, my first wife was killed in an accident and had a five-year-old at the time, and then I remarried, and Aaron and I have two children, which means I have a blended family. Not that my plan was bad or evil or wicked, it was holy, it was sacred, it was all those things. And I used the brain God gave me. Hey, I'm not having a blended family, I'm not having a blended family, I'm not having a blended family, and God's going, oh, you idiot. You, you just, <laughs> I, I, I have the last word, you know? I have it, you don't, I do. Proverbs 19 says this, People can make all kinds of plans, but only the Lord's plan will happen. God's sovereign. He's in control. Now, James gives us some really great thoughts as it relates to this. He's gonna take it to a whole nother, whole nother level, okay? The Holy Spirit fills him and he pins these words. Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we'll go to this city or, or that city. We'll spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Well, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. You don't even know what's going to happen five minutes from now. Hmm. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then poof, vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and we'll do this or we'll do that. You see, what the Holy Spirit's telling us through James is, is that God is sovereign. He has the last word. You can plan, but you always want to preface it with, you know what, if this is the Lord's will, I'll do this. If this is the Lord's will, I'll do that. Because we really have no clue what's gonna happen five minutes from now, do we? None of us do. We don't. But God does. God does. Remember what Proverbs 16 says, we make our plans, but the Lord determines our step. So, so number one, because God is in control of everything, he's sovereign, he's, he controls our lives. And, and number two, because he's in control, because he's sovereign, God's in control of your problems. And, and, and I'm only gonna do these two. It's not a comprehensive list of all the things, but I, I just wanted to give you at least two things. In John chapter 16, we get the weirdest promise ever made. 
I remember years and years ago, I went to the Bible bookstore and and there was this, um, it was plastic and, and it, was a, it looked like a loaf of bread. And inside the loaf of bread, you, you would lift up the, the loaf thing or the top of it. And inside were all these promises of God. There were hundreds and hundreds of promises from God inside this plastic loaf of bread. And the thought was, you wake up every day, I don't know, you brush your teeth or whatever, and then you open the loaf of bread, because he's the bread of life, you know, you get it. And then you would reach in, you'd pull out one of the promises, and then you'd read the promise, and then you would like meditate on that promise, you know, all day long. Well, I went through all of them, and I never found this promise. But it's a promise nonetheless. The weirdest, the wackiest, the craziest promise that you're going to find in Scripture. And you'll see why in a second it wasn't in the, 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 the bread basket thing, okay? Jesus said this. He said, I told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Now here's the promise. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows. See, that would have been a bummer. You wake up, you're all excited about the day, you brush your teeth, comb your hair, reach into the thing. This world's full of troubles and trials. <laughs> you know, who wants to read that? I want all the good stuff. I want the stuff that makes me feel good. I don't, I don't want that thing. I don't want to read that promise. But it's a promise. Jesus said, this side of glory, everybody's going to experience trials and troubles. They're going to be kidney punched. Some experience more trials and troubles than others, I get it, but everybody experiences them. Some of you experience trials and troubles when you're inside your mother's womb, right? It wasn't an easy pregnancy. I mean, you hadn't even started life yet, basically, outside the womb, and you were in all kinds of trouble in there. Troubles are the standard equipment of life. It's just what you get. It's like going into a, you know, a, buying a new car. And they always give you all this, you know, here's what you get. You get a steering wheel, you know. You get tires. You get a carburetor. You get all the stuff. This is what comes with it. Now, you can get some other stuff if you want to pay for it. And Jesus is saying the standard equipment of life is troubles and heartaches, problems, we all have them. Everybody goes through a time of suffering. Everybody has sorrows. And it's important to know that God is sovereign over them. In other words, he's in control during the kidney punches of, of, of life. Now, one of the questions I know that many of you have is, is this, Pastor Rick, why? Why do we experience pain and sorrows and problems? Well, let me give you just a few thoughts real quick. Number one, we have problems and sorrow because of sin. When Adam and Eve disobeyed God in the Garden of Eden and ate that forbidden fruit, whatever it was, it brought sin into the world, and sin brought with it problems, you know, Pollution and chaos and famine and cancer and diseases and rape and fevery, drug addictions, you know, tornadoes and earthquakes, hurricanes and all the other crummy things that you can think of. Sin brought with it all kinds of problems, but the greatest problem it brought was death. 
Paul says in Romans chapter 6, the payment for sin is death. The the biggest problem all of us have is that someday we're going to die, and we die because of sin. I've been here a long time at Big Valley Grace. And there was a time I, I didn't need steps to get up here. You could, have, you could have made this thing all the way. I could have leapt up here, no problem. <laughs> now, no, I'd, I'd, I'd tear something just trying to get up here, just trying to climb up it. I got trouble coming up the stairs now. I've actually pulled my hammy coming up these stairs. <laughs> coming upstairs. You don't know it. I'll, ooh, ooh, and I'll get up here and fake it the whole time. It's like, well, I just pulled my hammy walking up the stairs. Getting old. My body's decaying. I used to mock guys like me. Look at that old guy. It's gotta be horrible to be him. I'm him. I'm that, I'm that guy now. I'm, I'm the guy that you young people are mocking. I know. I, and I'll come, I can still take you. I'll tell you right now. I got one good fight left in me, man. I know I, know I do. I'm saving her up. You know, we just watch it happen. Now I wouldn't want to go back and be young again. But you can just see how sin has impacted our lives. All of us. Number two, you have problems because of yours and others' bad choices. The Bible says in Galatians chapter six, don't be deceived, God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. And this makes sense, doesn't it? A lot of the problems you face in life are brought on by your own choices, the choices you've made, or they're brought on by the crummy choices that somebody else made, right? This verse basically says, if I go out in my garden and I plant you know, strawberries, I get strawberries. If I go out and plant corn, I get corn. If I go out and I sow righteousness, I I live a righteous life, I receive righteousness. Some people choose to go out and sow wickedness. They go down to the bar and drink a bunch of booze and get inebriated and they get behind the car and they make that choice. They drive down the road and smash into somebody on their way to church and five people are dead because of some guy's dumb decision. You see? See how it works? You reap what you sow. And sometimes it's you're reaping what you sowed, and sometimes you gotta reap what somebody else sowed. And it's one of the reasons why we experience the, the troubles and the and the trials of, of life. Ecclesiastes chapter nine says, Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner can destroy much good. <laughs> and boy, isn't that the truth? One person steps in it and just gets all over you, right? One guy decides to get into his car drunk and man, gets all over you. A friend is dead. A family member is dead. Somebody's maimed because one guy made a decision. One sinner can cause a whole lot of crummy things can impact your life. Number three, you have problems because of Satan. 
First Peter says, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. The devil causes all kinds of problems. He causes diseases. He causes death. He causes distress. He causes depression. He causes suffering. These are all kind of tools in his tool belt. Now, because God is in control, because God is sovereign, he can't do anything that God doesn't allow him to do. And we see that in the opening chapters of Job. But make no mistake about it. A lot of the pain and the sorrow and the suffering that we experience is brought on by him. Number four, you have problems because you're a follower of Jesus. Peter says in chapter four, first Peter, dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ. Sometimes you have problems simply because you're a follower of Jesus. And we're, as a uh, culture, are experiencing that more and more, aren't we Christians? There was a time when uh, being a Christian, going to church, being somebody who believed in the scriptures, we were the big dog in the room. We ain't the big dog in the room anymore. It ain't, it ain't cool, it ain't hip. And all the cultural Christians basically have bailed out on, on, you know, coming to church anymore. All of a sudden, it just wasn't cool anymore. All of a sudden, there was suffering that went along with it. There was name calling that went along with it. And so sometimes we suffer just simply because we are followers of Jesus. Now, now, whether your problems are because of sin or the bad choices you or others make or Satan or simply because you're a follower of Jesus or whatever, I want you to remember a few things, okay? And we'll, we'll end with these things. Number one, I want you to remember that the problems you face are only temporary. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, though our bodies are decaying, and they are, our spirits are being renewed every day. Isn't that the truth? Boy, you come to church, you sing all the songs, and you know, you may pull the hammy just getting here, but man, there's something within you. Whoa! Man, you're, the, the spirit within you is pumped and excited, though it's inside this body that just didn't, doesn't work the way it used to work. For our present troubles are small. And let me tell you what Paul was going through. He was being whipped, he was being beaten, he was being stoned, shipwrecked. Our present troubles are small and they won't last very long, yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them all and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles that we can see, rather we fix our gaze on the things that we cannot see. For the things we see now, they're gonna be gone soon, but the things we cannot see are gonna last forever. When you're going through a difficult time and the troubles of life are hitting you, you know what, you, you can sit there, oh man, and just look at the cancer all day long, wake up, think about the cancer, lunch, think about the cancer, talk with your boyfriend, or your girlfriend, or all your friends about the cancer, 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 cancer. Just me talking about it bums me out. Or you can go, okay, you know what, today I gotta go in and I gotta get my radiation treatment. You gotta think about it for a second. But you go, you know what, I, I, I'm not going to live there. I'm going to live up here. I'm going to live with the hope that's coming. 
I can look at an x-ray. I can see the cancer there. I don't want to, I'm not focusing on something I can see. I'm going to put my focus on something I can't see. The fact that God's at work in my life. God's not done with me yet. Number two, remember Jesus is coming back someday. When the trials of life are just pounding you, man. Just remember that. Jesus said this in John 14. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you may also be where I am. Let me tell you something. Jesus is putting something very powerful into language we can understand. He said, hey, I'm going away, and I'm going to go prepare a place for you. I'm preparing a place. And there's going to come a moment, whether you die down here on planet Earth, you're going to end up there, or I just come and take my bride, my church, my, all the true believers. I'm going to get, there's coming a moment when you're not going to be down here anymore. You won't have to deal with all this stuff, all this crud. Number three, remember heaven's going to be a perfect place, a place where there's no pain or sorrow or problems, a place that's way more exciting and special than this planet. Revelations chapter 21, John writes, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. That's, that day's coming. I don't know when, but when the trials of life just hit you and the problems come, man, start thinking about that. Start thinking about that day. I, uh, I remember it's happened on a number of occasions, uh, but this one couple just sticks in my mind. And they were young, I don't know, they're about 22, and uh, they were both virgins, and they were getting married, okay? And I was doing their, their premarital counseling. Just a great couple, love Jesus, all that kind of stuff. They're getting married, and, and um, the, in one of the meetings, the guy says to me, hey, Pastor Rick, you know, could God come back at any time? And I said, yeah. Yeah, he really could. I think all the prophecies that need to be fulfilled have been fulfilled, and he could come back at, at any moment. He said, well, let me ask you a question. Is it bad if I were praying that he wouldn't come back until after the honeymoon? <laughs> no, but I get it. I get what you're talking about. Nice, nicely put, brother. Um, You know, as crummy as this planet is, there are some beautiful things about it. There really are. Yeah, it's a crummy place. But there are some beautiful things about heaven. And there's some beautiful things about, about earth. Uh, no, number four, remember that God uses all the problems in your life, the pain in your life, and the suffering in your life to transform you into the very image of his son, Jesus. 
Romans chapter 8 says, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes. For God knew his people in advance, because he's sovereign, he knows everything, and he chose them to become like his son. You see, folks, gotta remember, in Genesis chapter two, he creates human beings and we are made in his image. You get to Genesis chapter three, sin enters the world, the, the image is marred, if you will, and God sends his son, basically, if you will, to repair the image that was marred. He wants us to become more and more like his son. And the more we are like his son, the more we reflect that image that we were made in. And God uses all the, 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 the stuff that happens in our lives to make us more like his son. Look, God may not unscramble the egg in your life, but he can make an omelet out of it, as someone once said. He never wastes troubles or problems on his people, never. He uses everything for his glory. Some of you are in a bad situation right now. Things are a mess in your life. Things are falling apart in your life right now, and you need to remember that God is in control. When you're worried about something, you just stop and say, hold on a second, God is sovereign. He's in control. When you're defeated and discouraged and you feel like a total failure, you need to say, wait a minute, God is sovereign. He's in control. When you're sick and flat on your back, you just need to say, God's sovereign. When you're standing by the casket and wondering, why at this time? God, why take this person I love now? You just say, God, you're sovereign. You're in control. And you're trying to figure out why everybody else in your life is getting pregnant, but for whatever reason, God, the sovereign God, has shut your womb. And you can't have a baby. You just go to God and say, God, I know you're sovereign. I know you're in control. When you read the headlines about all the international chaos that's going on, all the stuff happening over in the Middle East, you just say, God is in control. God is in control. He's a good God. He's a merciful God. He's a compassionate God. He's a loving God. And that's why Peter could say, give all your worries and your cares to God because he cares about you. He cares about you. Over in the venue, wanted to stand. Everybody in here stand. And why don't you close your eyes and let me remind you while your eyes are closed that since God is in control of everything, he's sovereign, God's in control of your life. And number two, since God is in control, since he's sovereign, God's in control of all your problems. Father, thank you, Lord, for a chance to come together as a family and worship you through singing and giving and praying and preaching of your word. Thank you, God. You're good, you're good. And I have seen your sovereignty in, at work in my life so many times. When things are crazy, you're sovereign. You're in control. 
Father, thank you for um, your goodness to us. And as we exit this place and go to our Sunday school classes or just go home or whatever it is we do, may, may this message rattle around in our brains, God. And I pray this in your name and all of God's people said, amen. Hey, Lord bless you.